chapter 1, verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Sadly, we live in a world, we live in a country where idolatry flourishes. That is all around us, all around, you know, there are people who are bowing to the idols of their own making. And those idols uh, are all different kinds. And they end up worshiping the creature rather than the true creator. Throughout time, that has been man's problem. Man has gone astray and has failed to worship the true and living God. Jesus Christ, our Lord, though, was God with us. That is, for a time, the fullness of deity... The fullness of deity lived among men in fleshly, bodily form. And so the Son of God came to this earth to become our Savior and our Mediator. He came to this earth to become our King and our High Priest. And He has not, ce- he has not ceased, He has not stopped to be God's Son. Though He walks no more... In the flesh, as Emmanuel, he is still the Son of God, and he is still deity. He has not stopped being divine, the Son of the Almighty. God our Father, as we are told in John chapter 4, seeks true worshipers. God desires men who are made in his image to worship him in truth and spirit. And God the Son seeks the same. Jesus seeks true worshipers. And so as we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we are being called to worship the King. To worship this King who is described to us as eternal, immortal, invisible, and God. And so... Paul, as he admonishes Timothy in regard to the work of an evangelist, reminds him about his own calling. And so Paul there in verses 12 through 16 talks about how how God through Christ has shown grace to him. And how he now gives thanks to the Almighty because... Jesus Christ has saved him from his sins and in turn has put him into this ministry of salvation. It is then that he states there in verse 17, our key verse for this evening, when he says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So who is, who is Paul talking about here? Well, in the context of this paragraph, he is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the king that is to be honored. Jesus is the king that is to be glorified. Now, this word honor comes from a Greek word that has the idea or the concept of valuing something or or esteeming someone. And what Paul says is the duration of honoring this king is to be forever and ever. How long should I honor the king, Jesus Christ? 
Well, he says he is to be honored forever and ever. He is to be honored throughout the ages. He is to be valued and esteemed in that way. But the reason why, though, is even more significant. Why should I honor King Jesus? Why should I give to him value and esteem in my life? He says because he is God. That's why. He is the eternally immortal king. That is, Jesus is not a fallible man. He was God with us. He was God in the flesh. But he was not and is not a fallible man. Neither is Jesus or was Jesus ever created. He's not a created being. He is God. He is deity. He is the eternal, the immortal King God. And so Paul tells Timothy and us through Timothy, honor the king. Put value on your king. Esteem your king because of who he is throughout the ages from eternity to eternity. Jesus himself taught the same thing, actually. If we'll turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Leland touched on this this morning in the adult Bible class. And so over in John, chapter 5, we see that the Son, Jesus Christ, actually taught that the Son is to be honored even as the Father is honored. And you see that in verse 23, when he says, So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. And so if we're not honoring Jesus in the way he is to be honored, if we're not valuing him and esteeming him properly, then we are not honoring God the Father. We are not valuing and esteeming God the Father as we should either. Jesus says the Son is to be honored even as my Father. It is in this context that Jesus taught the equality that he sustained and has with God the Father. And the Jews understood that. You look there in the earlier verses of chapter 5, John 5. Look up in verse 17, when Jesus says to the audience, this Jew audience, he says, My father is working until now, and I himself am working. And the Jews who heard this begin to reason to themselves, and they're wanting to kill him because of what he said. Because they understood the implication of what he said. When he says, my father is working and I himself am working. They understood that when he called God his own father, he was making himself equal with God. And to the Jewish leadership and to many of the Jewish thinking, that was worthy of death. But he is equal with God. He was telling the truth. God is his father. And he is to be honored as the father. And so in this particular chapter, Jesus begins to give a defense of that statement. When you think about some of the things he says, for example, in verse 21, he talks about the power the father has bestowed upon him. You know, like the father, Jesus the son has the power over life and death. 
He says, for the fa- he says, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to him whom he wishes. And it goes on to say then all as well in verse 22, that the Father not only has given this power over life and death, but also he says he's given him authority to judge. For even as the Father, you know, for the Father judges no one, but he says he has given all judgment to the Son. So the Jews understood the implication here. And Jesus was, was wanting them to understand that implication. And he wants us to see the implication. And it is for that reason then, down in verse 23, it says, Okay, so the Father's given in power to, over life and death. The Father's given authority over judgment. Verse 23, so that... Why does he possess these attributes of deity? Why has the Father bestowed this upon him and has made this clearly and obviously known to us? He says, so that we will honor him. So so that we will value him. So that we will esteem him as much as we value and esteem the Father. Because Jesus is the Son of God, and because he's the Son of God... He is equal with God, and He has authority over death and judgment and eternal life. He is to be highly valued. He is to be equally esteemed as God the Father. And so, therefore, the name Jesus Christ is as much reverend as... Go back here. As the fathers. Recall in John 1 verse 1. In John 1 verse 1. We are told. That the word was in the beginning. And who was that word? Well. You know the answer. The word was with God. And the word was God. And so here Jesus. Is is making a claim through the, the, the work of the Spirit and the Apostle John, where the Word who was, in, was clothed in flesh was God in the beginning. And you think about that idea. Jesus, in the beginning of time, was God. And He has always been God. He was equal with the Father. And so when you turn to a passage like Psalm 89, and there's a mini passage you could turn to, that speak of the praise that the Almighty deserves. But you think about just you know, these few verses. As it speaks, the, the position, the role, work of God in regard to creation. And he says, For who in the skies, Psalm 89 verse 6, For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? And the, law, and the term there is the idea of Jehovah. Who in the skies is comparable to Jehovah? And who among the sons of the mighty is like the Jehovah? A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and an awesome, and awesome of all those who are around him. O Jehovah God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord, O mighty Jehovah, your faithfulness also surrounds you. So here's the psalmist praising God. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And so this praise is as much appropriate of a description of Jesus as the Father. Because Jesus was in the beginning with God and was God, but also he was 
creating with his father and all things are created for him. So the incomparable God I am is an appropriate description of Jesus. And Jesus says, honor the son as you honor the father. If you recall in John 8, Jesus in a defense for the claims that he's making about himself speaks of how before Abraham was, I am. A term that the Jewish mind and the Jewish ears would clearly understood of the implications. That Jesus said, I am, means he is claiming to be Jehovah. He's claiming to be God, the Almighty. And he is. He is God the Son, with God the Father. And so you think about Psalm 111 where it talks about the idea how the name of the Lord is reverend or is awesome. He says, verse 9, He has sent redemption to His people, praising God again here, the psalmist. He has sent redemption to His people. He's ordained His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. That's true of the Father, and that's true of the Son. The name of Jesus is also holy and awesome. Why is that? Because he is the king eternal, immortal, invisible God. And so we should not be surprised then, when you're reading the Gospels particularly, and you see the response or the reaction of people to Jesus, when they, be, when they have heard Jesus, or when they have seen the things He's doing, and how they prostrate themselves before this King. You recall when the wise men from the East come to see baby Jesus, or the child Jesus, what did they do? He said they traveled a great distance, we're told in Matthew chapter 2, these wise men. And so they come to what? They come to see Jesus, but not just to see Him. That's not the only reason they came. They wanted to see the child. They wanted to see the king that was to come. But they came to see him and to worship him. And we're told that they prostrated themselves in worship to him. Some of your versions may actually use the word bow. They bowed before him. This child to be king. And so when you continue to to just kind of scan through the Gospels, and you take, for example, a few examples in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 8, when there are people seeking the healing from Jesus, when they're seeking healing from Jesus, they respectfully did what? They respectfully would bow before the one who could heal. And so in in Matthew chapter, chapter 8, you have a leper in Galilee. Who wants to be healed. And so when, you know, when he sees Jesus, he comes to him in verse 2 and he says, and he says, he bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus can and Jesus did. But what did, it, what did this one seeking healing from the Son of God do? He bowed, he prostrated himself before this great healer. From heaven. In Matthew chapter 9 as well, another example. Here you have a father who is said to be a ruler or an official of, of uh, one of the synagogues. 
And so he's come to Jesus, and he's seeking Jesus to raise his daughter from death. Her, his daughter has died. And he's begging for Jesus to come, come and heal his daughter. And once again, when he approaches Jesus, what does he do? He bows before Jesus in homage in verse 18. He bowed before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. This word bows is a you know, common word you know, that we're familiar with. And, but in, in the Greek, it is, it is a word that signifies the concept of the idea of not just, just bowing, but prostrating. And so that's the other day. Often they said they bow before, they fell before this one. And so it carries the idea of prostrating yourself you know, before someone in reverence and or in adoration. And so when it talks about the wise men bowing and some version will say worshiping the child Jesus. Or when he talks about the leper in Galilee or this you know, synagogue official you know, who's seeking healing for his daughter. They bowed before him. They prostrated themselves in reverence and adoration. And that's exactly what the apostles did as well. When you think about over in Matthew chapter 14... Matthew 14, the occasion when you know, Jesus comes walking out on the water that, on that dark night in the midst of this great storm. So not only he's walking on water, you know, he's doing that in the dark with a storm occurring on the Sea of Galilee. And so, you know, so that's going on. And of course, the whole incident here in Matthew 14 is, tells about how Peter... You know, you know, steps out of the boat and, and starts walking to him, but he starts sinking and, and Jesus has to save him. So Jesus has to pull him out of the water and put him back in the boat. When all of that happened there in chapter 14 in verses 22-33, notice what it says in verse 32 and 33. He says, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Speaking of when Jesus and Peter got back in the, when Peter got back in the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him. That's our word bow in the Greek. Bowed before him saying, you are certainly God's son. That is, they prostrated themselves in reverence and adoration. And that's why translators often translate this with our English word worship. They, worship, they worshipped him. And so it, it is a significant expression of an acknowledgement and understanding of who Jesus is and where they are bowing before Jesus, the King, the Son of God, in homage, in reverence, in adoration. That's exactly what they did also in Luke chapter 24 on the occasion of the ascension of Jesus. As they witnessed him being taken up in front of them back into heaven, verse 51, and it says in verse 52, and they after worshiping him, after bowing before him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple of praising God. So before they go back to Jerusalem, which they were told to do, you know, because of what they saw, they worshiped, they bowed before the Lord in reverence and adoration. 
worship the king. Because he is worthy to be worshipped. And clearly, Revelation brings out this concept and this understanding so clearly and so beautifully, primarily in chapter 5 of Revelation. When the Lamb of God approaches the one enthroned on heaven's throne. And so basically, when, when the Lamb of God, the Son, approaches his Father as he sits enthroned in the heavens, we see the reaction of different beings to what is occurring. And what we see here is the fact that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy to be worshipped. And so what should be the attitude of our heart? It should be one as expressed by the wise men that came from the east to see the child. Or by that leper or that dad when they sought his healing. Or the apostles when they witnessed the great things that Jesus did and accomplished. That should be our same attitude and our reaction. That we bow and honor him. For he is the son of God. And so because the lamb overcame here in Revelation chapter 5. He was found worthy to take that book and to open up those seals, which was in almighty God's hand. No one else could do this. No one else was worthy to take that book out of the hand of God almighty, who's enthroned in heaven. But the lamb of God was and is because he overcame. And because he overcame, it says there in verse five, excuse me, verse eight through 10, that these heavenly beings who are the closest to God. So you've got the the living creatures and the 24 elders, the ones who are closest to the throne of heaven. What do they do when they see the Lamb of God take that book to open its seals? Well, it says in verse 8, they fell down before the Lamb. Each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to be to, to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. So here you have the Lamb of God, who John the Baptist clearly identifies to be Jesus Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God, who can take away the sin of the world. And so what do these living beings around the throne of God do? They fall before him and they worship him because he is worthy. Because he overcame and he overcame because he was slain and purchased people with his own blood so that they would become a kingdom of priests. In the same chapter, as you continue to glance down in these verses, you see as well that there are the myriads of angels also singing to the Lamb there in verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So not just the living, living creatures around the throne, not just the 24 elders, but now you've got this myriad upon myriad, thousands upon thousands of angels in heaven. With a loud voice praising the Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb to be worshipped. Honor the King. 
Give glory to the king. Worship the king. In verse 13, it continues to, to expand our understanding. And to what extent should Jesus be worshipped? Well, he's be worshipped by everyone and everything. In verse 13, he says, Every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Like praise, like reverence, like adoration are being given to both the Father and the Son. To both the one enthroned and the one who is the Lamb of God. And the kingdom of Christ is composed of what? It is composed of true worshipers. Those who worship the king. They long to exalt and worship their king for they are his priesthood. Revelation continued to expand on this concept of the greatness of not only the father, but the greatness of our king and the role and the position he holds in heaven at this very moment. In Revelation chapter 7. We move from the living creatures and the elders and the myriads of angels and everything in heaven and everything on earth to finally you have this innumerable multitude of saved souls. And what are they doing? They're worshiping the king. After these things, I looked in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 and behold a great multitude which no one could count. From every nation and all tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. And saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Here you have this innumerable multitude of saved souls standing before the throne of heaven Not only worshiping the one enthroned, but also the lamb praising him and bowing before him. Why? Because worthy is the king. If we do not willingly rejoice now to worship our king. If we do not now prioritize worship in our lives. Then why would we think. That we would be granted entrance into heaven. Where all there will celebrate the blessings of prostrating themselves. And honoring their creator and redeemer for eternity. So Paul tells Timothy. To the king. Eternal. Immortal. Invisible. The only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Worthy is he to be worshipped. 
by us, by the world, by the universe, by every being, now and forever. Worship is an intricate component, an intricate component to our faith and to our allegiance. To worship anything or to worship anyone else than God, than Jesus Christ, our King, is condemned. God condemns that. And such, such kind of worshipers will be cast out into the torment of outer darkness where God is not. In Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 through 11, listen to one of the judgments that are being revealed here in this book. He says, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone, if anyone, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, and those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus." God knows those who worship Him, and God knows those who do not. And all of those who do not worship God are promised that they will receive the wrath, the outpouring, fearful wrath of God Almighty. Because they failed or refused or neglected to worship the one on the throne and the Lamb of God. Divine judgments do fall upon all who practice idolatry. As Revelation continues to speak of the judgments that are going to be executed, in in Revelation chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, speaking of the the bowls of wrath that are going to be poured out from above, He says, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And notice the first bowl, what it says. And who's going to receive this wrath from God? He says, so the first angel went and he poured out his bowl on the earth and it became a loathsome, malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. Worship is an intricate component of our faith. It is an intricate component of our allegiance to God and Jesus Christ. If we worship anything or anyone else, God will condemn us. Peter wrote in 1 Peter, as we bring our lesson to a close, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We understand that our fellow man and also those who are in earthly positions of authority and power are to be properly respected. 
And there are a number of passages we can turn to teach that principle. That we are to respect our fellow man. He is made in the image of God. And we are to respect and give due respect to those who are in positions of power. Yeah. And that was true in the first century when Rome was the governing uh, power at the time. It's true now. No matter who is above us, we are to show respect. But they are not God. And they are not to be worshipped either. God is to be given what is his due. And so for that reason, he says, yes, honor, honor your fellow man. You know, love your brotherhood. And yes, honor the king. But fear God. God is due so, something so much more, something so much greater, so much gr- higher. He, what he is deserving is true worship that pleases him. That pleases the Godhead. And God the Son is to be honored. And we are to bow before him in homage. And we are to exalt his name and honor him with the, with the worship that he is due. For he is the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. He is king. And we are to worship him. He may be invisible to us at this moment. And he may be invisible our entire lifetime. But the day will come that he will not be invisible anymore. He will come with his, with, with his angels, with power, and he will reveal himself. And all will see him. And they will see him in his glory. And he will see him in his power when he comes to judge All of humanity throughout time. He is king. And he is God's son. And he's the only salvation that's available to us. But the day's coming. He's going to judge all of us. And we will see him in person. Are you ready? Are you ready to see him? Have you called upon his name in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ? If not, we want to encourage you to do so. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God? Do you believe his word? Do you believe he's coming? And you'll stand before him in judgment? If you do, why not tonight confess your faith before others unashamedly? Repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ. And he is faithful. He will wash away your sins. And he will remember those sins no more. And you'll be added to the kingdom. You'll become a brother, an heir with Christ, a child of God, a priest in the kingdom, and an heir of eternal life. If we can help you any way tonight, To make your life right with God, we invite you to encourage you. Please come now where we stand and sing the song that's been selected.